Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to let you know I have a free on-demand masterclass called Five Steps to Writing a Novel Without Letting Perfectionism or Procrastination Get in the Way. In this free training, I cover things like where perfectionism comes from, how it's directly linked to procrastination, and what you can do right now to start making real progress with your writing. I also talk about the problem with popular plotting methods and how they can do more harm than good, especially if you're brand new to writing. And last but certainly not least, I share some of the most common mistakes I see writers make so you can avoid them and make this the year you finish your novel. If this sounds like something you're interested in, you can sign up for free at savannagilbo.com forward slash training. One more time, that's savannagilbo.com forward slash training to get your hands on this free masterclass. Everybody in the world has a story they want to tell. People love telling stories to each other. It's kind of the currency of humans. I travel all over my job and people tell stories all over the world. It's definitely a, a thing people like to do. But I, I do think you just need to have the confidence that you can do it and give it a try. I mean, what's the worst that can happen, really? It's no real downside. Welcome to the Fiction Writing Made Easy podcast. My name is Savannah Gilbo, and I'm here to help you write a story that works. I want to prove to you that writing a novel doesn't have to be overwhelming. So each week, I'll bring you a brand new episode with simple, actionable, and step-by-step strategies that you can implement in your writing right away. Whether you're brand new to writing or more of a seasoned author looking to improve your craft, this podcast is for you. So pick up a pen and let's get started. In today's episode, I have something super fun to share with you. I recently sat down for a conversation with James Bessick, one of the writers who took my notes to novel course earlier this year, and we talked about his outlining writing and editing journey over the last 12 months. To give you a quick overview of James's amazing accomplishments, he enrolled in the Notes to Novel course in January, he finished a fully fleshed out outline by March, and then he had his 80,000 word first draft written by June. And at the time of recording this episode, it's mid-September, James is now working through his second draft. So he did all of that. He took the course, he outlined his novel, he wrote his first draft, all of that over the last nine months. And that's pretty cool, right? So in the conversation I'm going to share with you today, James shares some advice for writers who might be struggling to get started. Like most of us, James is a very busy guy with a full-time job and a family, so I think you're going to like hearing how he was able to carve out the time to outline and write his first draft. He also shares how the genre framework that I teach inside of the Notes to Novel program and that I've gone over on this podcast before, he talks about how that finally took the overwhelm out of the outlining and writing process for him. And funnily enough, James says that he now suffers from the opposite of writer's block. So it's no longer that he struggles to get the writing done. It's now more like he has so many ideas and a writing method that works that he can more or less pick and choose which idea he wants to work on next. And that is a pretty great place to be if you ask me. So this is a jam-packed episode with my wonderful and talented student, James Bessick, and I'm so excited to share his story with you. So without further ado, let's just jump right into the conversation. Welcome, James, and thank you for coming on the Fiction Writing Made Easy podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks so much for inviting me, Savannah. It's great to be here. Sure. Yeah. And you have a really fun story when it comes to deciding to write a book, going out and finding the help you need to make it happen, and then basically cranking out a pretty solid first draft in a handful of months, right? It's been a pretty much a whirlwind. I'm kind of amazed I got to this point in some regards, but yeah, it's incredible to think where it all started from and you know, where we're at so far in the process. Yeah. And we're going to talk about all that. We're going to dive deep into kind of each step you took to get there. But I think your story is a great example of what's possible for people. And I know it's going to inspire so many people just by hearing your story and hearing you talk about the struggles you had and even the aha moments and things like Mm. that. So let's start at the very top. Tell people who you are, what you're all about, what kind of books you like, what kind of books you write, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So my name is James Bezik. In real life, I work in software, nothing to do with writing. And I do a lot of writing my work, just technical writing and presenting to people. And I kind of, but really for the longest time, I've thought about writing a book. I suppose many people have, but it's one of those things that sits in the back of your mind and really haven't done anything with it for a very, very long time. And then at some point during the pandemic, I think I'd watched everything on Netflix, read everything I could get my hands on and decided it was time to probably, you know, see if I could write that book. You know, generally when I'm reading things, I do like reading a lot of young adult stuff, but I'd also read pretty much anything. So I'm someone who tries to read eight to 10 books a year, you know, work-life interrupts. I wouldn't claim on the most avid reader of all time, but I do enjoy generally reading. 
Yeah, that's cool. So like I said, we're going to talk through your writing journey. I'm going to give people a highlight reel and then we're going to go deeper. So Mm -hmm. your highlight reel is that you, like you just said, you wanted to write a book. You enrolled in Notes to Novel in January. You had an outline done by, I think it was March, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And then we had a first draft done by June, July. Then you got a manuscript evaluation and I'm guessing you're working on your second draft. Yes. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Congratulations, because that is what, I mean, it's September now when we're recording this, that's nine months of actually going out, taking the action to write a book, outlining a a whole draft that was solid, Mm -hmm. drafting by June, July, and then being done or almost done with a second draft, I'm sure. Yeah, a lot of it came down to planning. So the first time that the Notes novel came around, I didn't join the course. I couldn't commit enough time in my work. And I just thought there's no point in signing up if I couldn't really make that commitment. So I waited until January until I knew my work life would calm down and I could really put the time in. But, you know, I spent a lot of time going through uh, the materials and doing all the exercises and really soaking up all the information. But then it came down to really how do you carve time out of your life to do this thing? Because, I mean, we're we're all busy. I'm not different to anybody else. But I found that there was a routine where I could take an hour every morning from six till seven before work started. And then I take three or four hours each day at the weekend. And although at the beginning, it felt like very small steps, you know, it's not getting that much out. Over time, I was able to pick up pace and close the gap. So I didn't create an artificial deadline saying you know, it must be done by this time. Yeah. But I just wanted to see daily progress. on the- Yeah. And that's so important too. I think a lot of people get so focused on that. I'm going to have it done in six months. And then it it starts to put all this pressure on the process mm. where if you do take the small baby steps, like you're saying, it's like pushing a boulder downhill, you know, it picks yeah. up speed, it picks up moss, all that, but also structure wise in a story, once you get over a certain hump, it's like we start closing all the loops. So it actually does get easier if we just dig in and do the work. But I'm curious. So, like, bef- we let's rewind. Even before mm. you joined Notes to Novel, what had you tried anything else to write a book, or like, what what was that pre Notes to Novel period like? I'd occasionally opened Microsoft Word and sort of looked at the blank screen, and even got to a couple of templates where you get that kind of double spacing effect, and yeah. written a couple of paragraphs. And it really was not going anywhere fast because you just don't know what you're doing. And the problem is that. I think you think about authors as being these people who just, you know, spew out brilliance. They sit in front of the the word processor and do this. And so I pretty quickly realized that I wasn't going to get to anything approaching a book length by doing that. And that's when I decided to look. Yeah. And that's, it's such a good point because we all compare ourselves to published books. I do it still too. Or we look at an author, you know, I always look at the Harry Potter series and I'm like, how did she think of all this stuff? It wasn't done on the first draft. So Mm. it's like, I have to remind myself of that every day, but okay. So then when you were out in the world looking for help, what made you choose the notes novel course? So a long time ago, I'd done some work around looking at Save the Cat as a concept. So I was, I was really interested in screenwriting a couple of decades ago. And there's always cool. that. And so I, I thought originally I'd, I'd look at that again, because I had this great idea that if you could write a screenplay, you could probably write a novel. Because <laughs> the same thing, right? And then I'd looked up online and found some pieces you'd written about how Save the Cat mapped to novel writing. But then I started looking at more things you'd written and more of the tools you put out there. And that's when I thought, oh, Savannah seems to really be you know, an excellent teacher in this space. So I started going down the road of, of discovering it that way. And I suppose that's my entry point because it's just the save the cat model from a long time ago worked well for me when I was just getting into the screenplay right. side of things. But honestly, it doesn't work very well in the novel concept. So it's, it's funny to see the journey from where I thought that would work out perfectly to seeing where it doesn't really help that much. Yeah. And it's so funny because I either meet people who are like, I wanted to write a screenplay and I thought it would be easy to write a novel or they're the opposite. Like I'm going to write a novel because I think it might be easier to write a screenplay. So it's so (laughs) funny. We think these are the same things. And, you know, this is I could go on a tangent about this, but I work with a lot of people who come from screenplay writing. Mm. And a novel is an entirely different beast because you have to show like the interiority of the character and you you don't have producers and directors that are going to help you make this into reality, you know? Yeah. I think when I originally started, I had this really crazy idea that, you know, you sort of write a novel and just sort of tip out the screenplay over a weekend because, hey, you've done the novel. All the hard work's done. (laughs) (laughs) I can see at this point that's... uh, that's kind of lunacy. I mean, it's it's basically <laughs> the difference between drawing an architecture of a house and building out a bathroom. 
they're not yeah. doing the same task. I mean, geez, I wish it was that easy and straightforward, but it is not. <laughs> Okay. So then you found the notes novel course. Was there anything that you were worried about or anything? Like, did you have doubts about joining? Well, originally just the time was my doubt. I thought, could I really invest the time necessary given work? And that was really a concern. So that's why I I, I missed the first one and waited. Yeah. Getting to the second time, I didn't really have any doubts because I was, I was very, very anxious to do this. It got to the point where I don't know if people remember the depths of the pandemic, but it's, you know, you just want to yeah. do something with meaning of your time sitting around. Right. And so I really, at that point, mentally committed to it. Yeah. I wouldn't say, I wasn't worried about the quality of my work because I'm, I'm not trying to compete with you or anybody out there. I'm simply doing with my own sense of what I want to do. Right. But so really, more, more it's just the anxiety, I suppose, is just how do you take those first baby steps into, into writing the novel? Yeah, to achieving something that you dream of achieving, right? Mm. And so I, I get a question a lot and I would love to hear your thoughts on like, do you think it was right to defer the time or do you think it, it would have been fine if you joined in November? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, I think you should defer the time if you have to. Like, if, yeah. if it's an excuse to say so you don't, because you have doubts and you want to push it off, don't do that. You know, just then make the time. In my case, just because of my job, it, I really knew that I would, I would not be able to squeeze it in. But then I also committed mentally, I was going to immediately do it in the January course. So I knew that I would right. just push. But I know, you know many people would like to just push it off because it's hard and it's something I don't have time for. And I wouldn't recommend that. I think if, if you're ready to go, just. Yeah. And it's so funny because I always tell people kind of what you just said, like if you literally have a good reason to defer, go ahead and defer it. Just make a plan for, you know, tapping back into whatever that dream is. But yeah. Okay. So that's cool. So then you got in the course and what was that experience like? It was amazing, actually, because I I think as someone who's read lots of novels, not written any, you have real no no idea of what the process is, what the mechanics are underpinning it. So you throw back the curtain on what's going on behind the scenes stories and some of your your presentations on genre and key scenes is just extraordinary because you know it, it's kind of obvious because we read novels yeah of course you know but of course it's not obvious until it's shown to you right and you can see it and so it's really those first sessions are very illuminating on understanding how you can fit into this existing world of how things get built and i think that takes away all the terror of just oh there's eighty thousand words to write in a bunch of blank paper yeah what do i do with that right <laughs> Yeah. And I actually had a note because I hate calling one of the modules the most important because I'm biased and I think they're all important, but I do have to say the genre module is probably the most important because Mm. it gives you that framework and it starts to say, okay, you, you kind of pick a lane. Maybe, you know, people are always worried. What if I pick the wrong genre? It's okay. You know, you pick a lane, you go with it. And then that tells you kind of the lens or the flavor that you're going to look at everything Mm. else through. So your outline, your characters, your theme, I mean, literally everything, right? Yeah. And it gives you those guardrails as well, where you want to still obviously be creative throughout the process, but at some point you need to start limiting where you're going so you can actually focus on the chunks of work. Right. I think the genre piece is the first, the most important. You just immediately find what genres you're working with, what you've got to do. And as you say, it's really just a framework. I and mean, I think yeah. people panic in case it's some sort of formula and it's going to restrict their creative. Yeah. In reality, it's more just knowing the steps that you have in front of you. Right. And then you can choose what you do with them. Was it hard to choose the genre for your book? In my case, surprisingly not, because... I realized by looking at the genre list, things I don't really have so much interest in versus the ones I do. Yeah. And I think it came down to a couple of, of genres I was a bit torn between. And I read contrasting you know, points they had to have. And then I very quickly found the ones that I think my book. Yeah. And you landed on action with an internal worldview arc, right? Right. And I guess this would be a good time if you have, do you have like a, a blurb or can you describe your book quickly? I know yeah, it's so, putting you on the spot. <laughs> so essentially... <laughs> My book is is about a teenager who's basically been has run away from home because he's been accused of a crime and he's living essentially off the grid down in Florida. And then events happen where he's called back home, where he's the ability to make things good again, and repair events in the past through some magic. And so it takes him on a journey to essentially restore his name with his family, reconnect with friends from his past. Yeah. And one thing that's cool about your story, I'm just going to like add a layer to that is that I can't remember if you said this, but he was falsely accused of a crime. So in a way, going back home, he can clear up some, I'm trying to say it without like spoiling it. He can clear up some of the mistakes and issues that he created by leaving 
he can also clear his name, reconnect with some of the people that he misses in his life and all that fun stuff. So, okay. So that's great. Cause I think we're probably going to get into a little bit more specific. So I wanted to get a blurb, but yeah, his life is at stake as he navigates all this. So I think you're right that yours might've been a little more straightforward to choose the genre, but I could also see you arguing like maybe at a point in your head, was it thriller? Is it crime? Is it, you know, something else? But mm. I think you made the right choice landing on action. So you picked your genre, you went through the course, fast forward to, I believe it was March when you had a finished outline. Mm -hmm. So that's at most three months from starting the course to having an outline. What was it like to create an outline? Terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. Are you naturally a plotter? I think I'm not. I'm somewhere in the middle where I, I like to see where something goes and zoom out and then try to get some structure around it. Then when it feels too vague, zoom back in. Yeah. So I'm somewhere there. And what you know, I, I looked at outlining before just as a broad technique and just got lost because it's just a massive, massive journey. When you, yeah. I think what was different here was that you'd given us some guardrails in terms of finding the key events in your story from front to back, what the catalysts were, the outbreaks were, final scenes and so forth. And so using that, I was able to break it down into quarters and once I knew what happened had to happen by the beginning and end of each quarter, figuring out 10 scenes in each quarter was a much smaller challenge than, you know, 80,000 words. Right. And at that point, I was able to then dissect it. Another key piece of advice that you gave was absolutely critical was this idea that one scene follows the next, which again, it sounds obvious, but <laughs> you, know, you don't think that way when you're writing. And so once I'd realized that, that all the events were inevitable, one flows from the other to the, to the next to the next, suddenly it accelerated the ability to i think in that three months i sat six weeks with an empty outline and another four weeks with a very vague outline and right. suddenly it came together for yeah and i think that's how it happens for a lot of people that embrace the the whole process and the idea that it's not going to be perfect right away you know I find a lot of people to overthink that cause and effect where it's like they kind of dismiss the fact that there's a character who if you've created or fleshed him or her out in a way that is real they're going to help you make the decisions just based on like what a human would naturally do. So did you find any of that where you were kind of like, gosh, this is a little easy? Yeah. Like, is that weird that it's easy? Yeah. And a couple of other things you've added that really helped. One was this idea of fundamentally the character has to have stakes they choose between in each scene. Yeah. But also they have you have to describe internally what they're thinking in each scene. You've added that as something to, to work on. But that was actually magic because when you put those two together suddenly things happen. You don't have scenes where someone just shows up and has a cup of coffee and chats and they all agree and they leave. And it gets rid of those problematic scenes where nothing seems to be moving forward or like, why is it here? It becomes much leaner in its telling. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so funny because, I mean, it's funny, but it's also what writers end up spending a lot of time on is they'll have all this like fat in their draft. And it's like, you know, scenes where people get coffee and then it's like she, the woman goes to the store and she buys a dress and then it's like, what are we doing here? You know? So I think, yeah, that cause and effect chain from scene to scene and also making sure there's that like goal conflict decision set up through each scene. If you can, I mean, I, on this podcast, we've talked about that in different episodes, but if we can keep that in mind, it just helps eliminate potential future issues. Yeah, I did find it had to be, I had to become more difficult to my hero because I've realized in the past I was just being too nice to the guy. Right. And really, <laughs> you're beating up your hero in that one, putting him to a place that's got no choice but go down this journey you want. And then you're revisiting, beating him up again towards the end of act two. You're really just, just making it more extreme and more difficult. Although it felt painful at the beginning, I think made right. the dramatic elements better in the story. Well, and it's back to that truth of like, people don't change unless we face conflict, right? Mm. Cause we're, we'll sit on the couch all day if nothing's pressuring <laughs> us to do something else. So yeah, I think it's one of the hardest things writers have to deal with is making, putting their character through something difficult. Cause we all identify with our characters to some extent. Yeah. So we don't want to go through something difficult, Right. but yeah. So I remember there was a time in through the notes to novel course that you sent your outline in for feedback. And there was like three main things that I remember saying. Mm. One was that you really did do a great job with the internal aspect of each scene. I remember that. And you just said that was a huge help. Mm. So I think that's kind of fun that you paid a lot of attention. It paid off because your outline was strong. And then there was a a few notes about making decisions in each scene. Like some Mm. scenes you had your character face a choice 
choice. Other ones, we needed to beef that up. And then there were a few scenes where I was like, I don't know if we need this or maybe we should move this here and there. Mm. Right. Do you remember anything else big? Yeah, I think those are the major things. And then it became this trick of how you could collapse a couple of scenes into one or just do some compositing tricks, putting things together or just removing them entirely. I remember the outline I changed probably 25 or 30% based on your feedback. And the funny thing is I, I showed it to my wife and she's an average reader, but doesn't know the mechanics of this. And so right. I showed her the first one and showed her the second one. And her reaction was, Oh, this is much better. <laughs> and yeah. she didn't know why, but she just read it as being much, much more engaging and just more to the point, basically. That's so cool. And so that must have felt good because you're like, well, she noticed the difference right away. My hard work's paying off. But yeah, you did a lot of groundwork. You did a lot of the hard work during the outlining phase. So what was it like when it came time to actually write the draft? I was really ready at that point, funnily enough. I felt that I had the roadmap. And it was all just a series of, you know, 42,000 word chunks at that point, more or less. Yeah. And so that's when I got into this day-by-day routine of just seeing what I could chew off each day. And I think initially it's hard, you know, you're right, you're opening the blank page and it's chapter one, such and yeah. such happens. And <laughs> Lots that's of terrifying. Lots of pressure. You know, this has to be, you know, publishable version one or something. But, it's, right. but I think once you let that go and you just start producing words, it's critical. And then you said something as well that I thought, yeah, really helped was that don't edit what you've written, just keep moving forward. And yeah. so I'd written some real absolute terrible stuff. It just wasn't good. I was just getting from point A to point B, yeah. but it got me into the process. But I didn't then go back and then fix it or whether there were logic error, logical errors or missing characters. I just kept going until I'd essentially blasted through 80,000 words. And at that, at that point, almost cloud lifts because you can say, well, I did it. I, I completed yeah. the the challenge of writing this much stuff. Now I just have to make it. Yeah. And imagine, you know, cause it's very hard not to edit what you've written, but imagine if you had spent that time editing a, you probably, well, you wouldn't have finished then with your first draft. You may not have finished even now. I mean, who knows, depending on how long you went back to edit, but also because you said the clouds lift. And I think that is the best feeling for a writer to get to when, even though there's issues, it's like, okay, I know what this is, or mm. I know what it wants to be. Now yeah. I can kind of make decisions for how I want to tweak things to make it that. Yeah. Is that how you felt? Exactly. And there's, there's something else that happened over the course of this and doing the course you know, with you is, is that you realize the book isn't a final fixed thing. Right. It's a liquid piece of work that moves around any way you want it to. And once you accept that, that becomes very liberating because essentially you can have good parts, missing parts, whatever you want. It's just right. finding that path through and only really gets locked at the very end when you choose. And not you don't realize that coming into this as a new writer. So to me, that was just right. incredible. Just the sense of, well, I could move this character here or take this person out or make this happen earlier. This never really dawned on me. Right. And I think it's hard for a lot of writers, A, because we compare ourselves to published works. But then also B, it's like we spend so much time, let's say, writing a side character that then we realize might not need to be there. Mm. If we have spent all this time and we're not coming into it with this fluid mindset of like, I want to tell the best story that I can and I want to convey a certain message, then we're going to get stuck in those weeds of like, but this character, it took me so long to figure out their motivations and blah, blah, blah. Even if it doesn't match the vision you have for it, it's like you hang on to it because you've spent so much time doing it. And I think you were able to skip over a lot of that because you went into it with a mindset of like, this is going to be something that's living and breathing. It is going to take multiple drafts. So was that hard to hold that mindset? I mean, there are definitely days when you're doing it where it feels, it's very lonely as a process. I mean, if you sat <laughs> yeah. there by yourself writing, it's not like you've got a million people to talk to about it. And even though people want to be supportive and helpful, they don't really know what you're doing right. mentally with the thing. And so right. there's definitely points where you can feel this is just, this is hard and it is hard. Yeah. But there, but I think it's it's funny because after about 30 or 40% what was written, it started to become real. And it was much yeah. more like I was telling the story of some people, some people, some people I once knew instead of it being this stick figure drawing. Isn't and that funny? It was very strange. I've never had this experience before, but it's really bizarre how it just comes to life. And then you're kind of just finding the right words to describe the thing that happened. Right. Yeah. Because you had done so much work to flesh out your character, whose name is Jonah. And they, if you do that kind of work up front, they do become real. And it is, 
it's not anymore James moving Jonah around the chessboard. It's Jonah saying, I'm taking this action because of who I am and because of right. what happens. But yeah, I think that's that's really cool. And then so come June, July-ish, you were done with your first draft. Mm. So from January to June, July, you had outlined and you had finished an 80,000 word first draft. What made you decide that it was time to get some outside feedback? So I think the big mystery here is you just have no objectivity at that <laughs> point. And, you know, I've written versions of scenes that change. I don't even remember the final state at that point when you just right. literally just stepped out of it. And you wonder, is this something that flows? Because I mean, my basic goal with this was to produce something entertaining more than anything. Yeah. And so I first gave it to my wife and she was the first reader. I said, go read this and see you think. But, and I knew the, the real test there was, you know, would she get through it? Because she didn't, there's a problem. Yeah. But even past that stage, I really wanted professional help with it in terms of telling me, okay, what works and what doesn't work here? Where, you know, where should you push more, take things away and move it around? And so, although I'd finished at that point, and it was really a wonderful day, I will remember it forever, just that first, so <laughs> that first draft finish. But at that point, I knew that there was, there was more work to do. And how did you feel about your draft at that stage? Like, I know the the feeling of finishing it was very exciting, but were you like, I can't believe I wrote something that feels like an actual story? Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> Funny enough, I, I put it into the Kindle format and I was on a long flight, so I could read it on wow. the Kindle like it was a book I bought. And this weird, being the same formatting and everything, you know, oh, this really is like a book. is isn't terrible. But at the same time, I knew that it's just... I had some doubts because I knew that I'd gotten better at writing various things as you progressed. And I knew the earlier stuff wasn't as good as the later stuff. And I also thought there were some plot lines and things questionable and maybe didn't work so well. But I needed someone else to tell me that. I, I knew that most of that I was just back of my mind thinking, if I was doing it again, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it this way. But you just yeah. need that second voice, I think. And what did your wife think when she read it? Did she, she finish? Really, yeah, she finished it. She really <laughs> liked it. Good. The, there's a couple of surprises in the book she didn't see coming. She didn't get confused anywhere. But yeah, I think that she was she was happy with it. But ultimately, there's not much more feedback she can give me because all I really right. need from her is, is it entertaining? Does it work? But beyond that, it's just she can't help me. Anymore right. Than that. <laughs> and that's most of our friends and family and even some fellow writers. You know, it's really hard to, unless we're kind of trained in this ability, which some people are. Some people do. You know, they're they're very good at giving beta reader feedback, but most mm -hmm. of the average human is it's just not their skill set. We hear this thing on the Internet that act two is going to be the hardest to write. I actually think act one is the hardest to write because mm. like you said earlier, your skill set is, you know, it's not developed hundred percent yet. You're kind of finding your rhythm. You're finding your characters. A lot of people put a ton of pressure on act one. Mm. So it's almost like this self-inflicted cage we put ourselves in and then we get stuck in act one. So that's why I think it's the hardest, but did you mm. find that there was a harder section to write? To me, the second half of act two is the hardest. Because I felt that the growing complexities and the things that have to happen to raise stakes actually really pressure test your story. Yeah. <laughs> and it's easy to find not enough happens there or it's just not good enough. And then when you start looking at that, it does then feed back into the things you've not done in that one. So right. a lot of these things are kind of connected over it, the course of it. I found the same with Act 3. Act 3, I've got a fairly clear idea of the thing that happened. Yeah. And the skills that the hero needed to get through and you know the big surprises so i was able to put those back fairly early on but it was that second part of act two because it's just such a long act i mean it just yeah feels like it's never going to end yeah which i like what you said earlier that you thought about it in terms of quarters so mm. each like quadrant of the story which i that's how i like to look at it too i think that's really smart mm. but yeah act two tests your characters and all that it also tests your creativity and your skill as a writer, like you said, to up those stakes. So you were probably feeling that, you know, yeah. it always makes me laugh where someone's like, well, if I do this at the midpoint of my story, how am I going to make things worse? And it feels yeah. hard, but like, that's what it means to be a writer. You know, we have to figure that out. Yeah. So. I think in the first version of this in my mind, you know, a long time ago, it was a very basic story. And yeah. when I started making the outline, I pulled a lot of the big surprises forward so that it became more engaging. Yeah. And by the time you hit the midpoint, you've used it all up. You know, everything you had is basically there. And so that's when you, I think you get into, well, what's the story really about? And right. what are the real problems here? And that powers you through the second part of Act 2. So funnily enough, I'm now doing a second, another outline that I, I now know what to expect a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> but the first time around is, is kind of terrifying. 
Yeah. Especially too, like you said, if you're doing it without talking to another writer or if you're doing it just by yourself, you don't have anyone to sit there and say like, oh yeah, that's normal, James. Don't worry. You know, that's part of why I wanted to do episodes like this for the podcast is just to show other people who are in their writing cave alone that this kind of stuff happens and that you're not weird if your act one is a little shaky. And if you realize you're getting better in act two, that's pretty normal. You know, (laughs) it's not a trick of the eye, but okay. So then I'm fast forwarding again. You got some feedback. I have some notes on the highlights of the feedback, but what was that process like when, because you went into this thinking, I don't really know what else to do to make it better. Yeah. Fundamentally, I I had some thoughts around things, but I'm just too close to the material at that point. I could have just got into a loop of just moving things around and never gotten out of it. And so I do think having that second pair of eyes for me was critical because you know, your feedback throughout has been razor sharp. You know, you can look at outlines, you can look at chapters and immediately pull things out that other people either wouldn't or it'd take them forever. And so that speed of being able to say, well, I see how this pairs up with the, with the thousands of other books you've read really makes all the difference. And so that to me was the course correction where I was able to get out again and say, well, yeah, that seems to, <laughs> when you explained a lot of the things to me, it was It was very much common sense exercise going, yeah, Yeah. I agree with that. Well, this this could be better. I remember too, that we agreed or like you, you were like, yeah, I knew that was, you know, maybe I needed to flesh that out more or I had Mm. that instinct too. So it was kind of fun to see that in a way there was nothing surprising. It was just, you needed that objectivity of like, here's why you're feeling that way. Yeah. Right. Like here's the actual craft reason why you feel that way. And here's yeah. what we can do to tweak it. So the three things I highlighted that I remember is that we had to talk about your the age range because mm-hmm. you have you said a teen. So you've landed on it's going to be a young adult book. Yeah. And I remember in the the draft, it was questionable. Is he adult? Is a young adult? So mm-hmm. you've landed on that. The other thing was consistency with his character, I think, because Mm. the way, and I believe the issue was in act one. So you had a character who by the end had a really nice arc, but the beginning of his arc was a little muddy. It had a couple different things going on. So, and the reason I'm calling out these issues is to show like, these are next level problems. You know, these are are good things to be having with your first draft. If you have a draft that is quality and then you get to this level of seeing Mm these kind of issues, that's a cool thing to me. Yeah. You know, it's not saying like your story's fundamentally broken. Right. And I, I think when you said these things, I, I kind of knew secretly anyway, because you know the first yeah. five chapters you're finding your way. And then I think I held on to those chapters being a bit too precious because they were the yeah. first. And in reality they just need torpedoing in places and just to to fix them because they don't really match the later material quite yeah. as well. But there was a sentimentality factor of just, well, this was such a good scene in my head when I started yeah. it, and it's very hard to step away from that. Well, and I think it represents a, a nice or like precious time in your life when you sat down to finally write this, you know? Mm. And I see this with a lot of writers. They want to hold on to the opening scenes. And it's, you know, maybe because you thought it was a good idea, but also maybe because it represents taking action on your dreams, you know? So anyway, I think it was cool that to to produce a draft, I remember telling you like, this is a really good quality draft and it's not, let's fix the broken things. It's Mm -hmm. let's make things better. Yeah. So like, what was that like to hear? Great, actually. But I think, you know, I always said to you, you know, just give me the direct truth. Like I don't need sugarcoating or anything. And I think knowing that, you know, what can be fixed or to make things better is is great. Because I, I mean, everything about the time. Yeah. I think if, you, if you'd said, yeah, there's absolutely fundamental problems with this story all over, that would have been a surprise to me. I would have thought, oh God, I really right. messed this up. But that's not really what happens. I know when you have, when you're waiting for feedback, the ride <laughs> of like, oh my God, what's coming back? Right. But I think the, what you said was, very much in line with some of the things I'd suspected, but also surprising in terms of some of the things you suggested that were really helpful. And I, I read it, I, when, you, when I first got your feedback, I think I read it about 10 times. I, I, uh, I first powered through the whole thing. Yeah, looking um, looking for the bad, I'm sure. Yeah, where's the bad here? <laughs> yeah. And then, but, you know, going over it, I kept going and thinking, yeah, this could really work. And it just fired off lots of new ideas in terms of making the story more seamless. Yeah. And that's the fun part. I just, I want to zoom out and talk about like editors in general, not just me, but any editor or book coach you're going to work with, ideally they can see the vision that a writer has Mm. for their story and then say, okay, here's what you have. 
And if you want to make it this, here's what you can do, mm. you know? So a lot of people are scared to work with editors because they don't want their story totally torn down, but that's not an editor's intent. An editor's intent is like, okay, you want to do this? Let's make it this. I'm excited to do it with you. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, being practical, you're working in a space where the quality bar is very high. You know, we watch mm-hmm. things on TV, you read books all the time. The stories work from them. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to be in a position where you make mistakes that are, you know, that betray your reader fundamentally. So I think right. it's important to have, if you're going to do this seriously, whether you self-publish or publish for an author, you've got to realize you're in the Olympics and you need to, need to get every piece of help you can to get that bar right. as high as possible. Well, and I always like to compare it to random stuff. Like the one I go to is building a house. If you're going to build a house to live in, you want that house to be pretty darn secure and you want the rooms to work. You want the stairs to work. Right. So to me, I'm like, let's, let's collectively decide that writing's as important as building a house. And if, if it's our dream, let's take it seriously, you know? Yeah. I think some people have, may have a fear of editors or just the process because it's, they think it's like being at school where someone's going to come along and put a comma here and, you know, your grammar's <laughs> terrible here right. and kind of rip you apart that way. And that's really not the process. You know, this is much more of a, a sort of meta level process of just timing in the story, what, what various characters are doing and thinking. Right. And it's not probably what most people think. I think so too. And I'll, I'll say a caveat there are, I'm sure there are editors out there who do that. So if you've had that experience, we're not trying to diminish, but if you find a good editor, an editor who really cares, which I know there are many out there, they, I always like to compare it as like, I'm your writing buddy now. So I'm going to help whoever I'm working with in this case, James, I'm going to help him make his vision. And that's the kind of editor or who, whatever agent, whatever person you're, you know, going for, that's who you want on your side is someone that's going to help you get your vision across the finish line. Yeah. So, okay. So speaking of all that and the finish line, how is the second draft going now? So I took a month off, right? I completely did nothing for a month and I just started into revisiting the outline. So I've gone into how that's going to look and I'm much more confident going into the outline the second time around. You know, I cool. think you wonder, is it going to be very, very difficult? But I, I think it's really clicking into place. And now I'm getting to the point where I start the scheduling of how do I find the time each day, but I'm just revisiting that again. But I, yeah, the last couple of weekends, I started looking at how to get this outline into the right shape. And it's funny, I I, I was tempted to go into scene by scene without touching the outline. Yeah. But then I thought there's too many things moving here that I I really need to make sure the outline's working because that's what saved me the first time around on this. Right. And so I, I started there. And just in case listeners aren't sure what you mean. So you have a full draft that's done. You've had feedback. You're going back to your original outline that you wrote from, probably updating that to make sure it just all matches. And then saying, what kind of big picture changes do I want to make? And you're sh- you're walking yourself through the exercise of, let's say in chapter five, something in the logic of the story changes. So then you're going forward with that logic of, if I change it in five, what would that look like in chapter six, seven, eight, nine? Yeah. On the outline. Yeah. Okay. Use them. You know, this piece of advice you've given a while back, but really good advice is that you know, keeping your outline up to date yes. was essential because I think it's, the problem is there's, this, there's a, a drift that happens between your outline and what you're writing. And if you don't keep the outline up to date, even though it's pain and it's not very interesting, you end up with it not being a very accurate representation. And when you want to look at like what scenes are affected by various things, it's not yeah. going to help you. So, so my outline was was up to date when I finished the draft. And I, I think just keeping it up to date with the new version is critical. Yeah. And personally, if it, if I'm looking at my story, I like to update it after I finish a scene or at the end of a week, maybe I've finished three scenes, whatever. I'll go back and I'll just make sure that, you know, come that next week, no matter if I've done it daily or weekly, that outline matches what I've written. And that helps. I Did you do any of that during the writing process? Like, let's say you made a change in chapter five when you wrote the scene. Did you change the outline going forward while you were writing? Not originally. And then it's okay. a comment you'd made a few weeks later, just generally to the group, right? I thought that was interesting. So I went back and I was really surprised to see how much my, my work was not reflecting the outline. It just drifted yeah. so far. So I then very I started to be much more rigorous about keeping the outline to date. But yeah, honestly, it saves you because when you get into the size of these novels, and you need to understand what's happening in various places. You can't go through the pages and you've got yeah. 30 or 40 files in Word or Google Docs, whatever you're using, and you've lost sight of where everything is at that point. And it's yeah. the outline that is your cheat. Yeah, it's impossible otherwise. And 
I think it's important to highlight what you just said is that your what you wrote was not matching your outline. And so you didn't, you weren't using the outline as a rigid tool of like, I better get back to this. You were mm-hmm. saying, let me update my outline to match my draft and then think through that logic going forward. Cause a lot of people view outlines and they're like, well, what happens if things change? Just change your outline. Yeah. And that's you know? actually the, the trick, isn't it? Because most scenes, when you start writing them, don't follow the outline. There's something that happens. The characters aren't going to be forced through the, the hoops that you were trying to make yeah. them do. And something else surprising happens. And so that's fine. I think that's, you know, I, I really learned to embrace that. But you do have to bring it back to the structure of the story. It has to, the two things have to really be hand in glove. Right. And the only thing that happens if you don't do that is you're going to need more editing on the back end. Yeah. So the cool thing that I I love about your story is that you did the hard work throughout the process of updating the outline, really making sure, like even when you were outlining first, making sure that cause and effect was there, making sure the logic was there. Then when you started writing, you were diligent about updating it Mm. and look at how fast you've been able to move through the process. You know, like people think it slows them down, but it saves you so much time in the long run. I couldn't have done it otherwise. I mean, I really think, you know, had I not gone through this process with you, I would be still staring at a black screen. And I really think this, this roadmap is the way to do this. And I know many people will say, well, I'm special and different, but I I do think everybody actually does need to break the work in some way into bite-sized chunks and decide how to deliver the 500 words at a time, a thousand words at a time. I think this process does work in that as well as also making sure that you're on track with something that makes sense and is logical, yeah. tells well as a story. Yeah, I think it's that. And it's also the mindset of being flexible, you know, yeah. understanding it's not going to be perfect, understanding that you're not going to have all the answers right away, you know, just going into it, not expecting yourself to have everything figured out or to be a great writer right away. Yeah. So I mean, another one, another golden piece of Savannah advice is the TK <laughs> trick. So this one absolutely is, is worth its weight in gold. When you don't know something when you're writing, you know, I can't believe you did that, she said, because of TK. Right. You simply put in TK and move on and keep writing. And this was an amazingly powerful trick because fundamentally, otherwise you sit there for ages. Like, what is Yeah. When you and should then be if, writing words. <laughs> if you don't figure it out, then you're like, what's wrong with me? I should just stop today. And then you get all frustrated. But yeah, yeah. TK, it's T and K. So it because it's not found together in any word in the English language. So it's really easy to find and replace. And actually, someone told me the other day there is a word with TK. I can't remember <laughs> what it is, but it's probably one we're not going to ever use in our books. So yeah. <laughs> it still works. But I thought that was funny. She's like, actually, there is one. <laughs> So I'm wrong. But anyway, yeah, all that's great. And then, so what do you think is next? Like, what are your publishing plans? That's a million dollar question. I I think you have a really good part of the course where you talk about the different options. I think have a lot of surprises. People not been in the industry don't realize how it works and what the trade-off is between the two. For me, I I suspect the self-publishing route might well be the one to go for. I think many of my audience read read things on Kindle. They, you know, it gives you that immediacy of getting out there doing. What you, mm. I, I think it's at the same time. I I've struggled with it. I thought you know maybe it's worth at least querying agents and seeing where it goes. I, I still veer towards probably self publishing. Yeah. When I get to the final part where the where the draft is good enough, I, I might just change my mind. The great thing is, of course, nothing's set in stone at this point. Right. And I always like a hybrid approach where it's like you know give yourself three, six, whatever months. And try querying, see what happens. You never know. Mm. And after that period, there's absolutely nothing wrong with self-publishing. I think that's a great route to go. You get so much more control that way. It's so much Mm. quicker to market and all that fun stuff. So you'll have to keep us posted. Do you have plans for a book too? I do, actually. So when I was taking my month off break on this one, I started outlining a second book, which is not related to the first book at all. Cool. And I found that as a result of doing all this, I have lots of ideas that are worth fleshing out and seeing where they go. And I've, it's like the opposite of writer's block. It's just more of just, well, which idea do you want to do next? Because I right. figure this is something I'd like to do for the long term. And I figure, well, if it takes a you know a year to write a book, more or less, or 18 months or so, there's a sort of queue of things coming up. And you know, what's the idea that will, will most hold your interest, really be most entertaining over that period? But right. there's definitely been no shortage of ideas. I've got... And that's so cool because I think it's like now you have, you've been through the experience. So you have a level of confidence that I can do it. 
but also I'm sure there's fear there. I talked to a lot of people writing book two where they're like, yeah, it might be a little harder mentally, but I have all the tools I need to write book two. It's just like, how do I compare to book one? You know, um, <laughs> now that I've gotten become a better writer, what's going to be the next issue? And I always like to say, when you hit a new level, there's a new devil. So <laughs> book two like has its own new devil. But do you think like after this, the experience of writing book one and taking the course and all this stuff that you have a toolbox full of tools? Oh, for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. It's, I, I really don't think it would have been possible without doing it. And yeah. I have read a lot of books on how to do stuff. It's my, my go-to approach to everything to do stuff. Yeah. I think what was in the course enabled me to complete it. And the great thing is, you know, if you've done it once, you can do it twice. So totally. I think the key thing is to make sure you keep using it, not just assume it doesn't apply to you anymore. So I've taken the approach of just doing exactly the same thing again, of stepping through the same rigmarole. I've reread the earlier courses again, make sure I don't miss things. Yeah. But it's, but it's, it's a process, you know, fundamentally... If I keep doing this in you know, a few years from now, I'll get good at it, hopefully. Yeah, but I, I still feel that the fundamentals won't change, that actually right. these are the building blocks you need to be able to put the story. Yeah, and that's so cool because in your mind, when you're sitting down, it must be nice in a way. And like I have this experience too where I'm like, I know what needs to go in a scene now. You know, it's not scary anymore because I know the tools I need to pick up and put down. Yeah. And now it's like, I just filter my ideas through that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be smooth sailing every day I sit down to write, but at least it's not like nebulous and overwhelming anymore. And I think it helps pressure, pressure test the concepts to make sure that they're good enough to more than anything to hold your interest, let alone right. the reader. If it's not good enough for you to write about and spend a year of your life on, find another <laughs> concept. There's a lot yeah. of things out there. You'll be miserable. You, yeah, don't be miserable because you'll just end up not writing something that great. But I do think that approach lets you see, you know, shake out the idea and make sure there's enough meat in the bone for it to be a worthwhile story to invest your time in. Then yeah. once you get to the point where you're at the scene level, I think that's the exciting part in many regards. The thing starts to come to life more, but right. just getting to that, you need to be sure that the idea has merit. And I think the tools really help with yeah. It's just like, a, it's ni a nice backup to have, you know, like you have the idea, you have the creativity. Now you have the confidence because you've written a book and now you have like the tools in your backpack that just make it all possible. But the last question I have is what would your advice be to someone that was you in December or like someone that's scared to take the next steps forward or just kind of not sure if I can really do this thing, like writing a book, what would you say? Yeah. I mean, absolutely sign up for the course because I mean, Fundamentally, you have to invest in your skills to do these, and this will upskill you dramatically and probably get you through most of the self-doubt humps. But I think ultimately, you know, we're not doing this stuff to, so I can be P.D. James or Shakespeare or Agatha Christie. You're doing it for yourself, and you're comparing, am I a better writer today than I was in December? And the, the answer to that is undoubtedly like for sure. 10 times better. There's no, there's no question. So I would say to anyone who's on the fence to take the jump, it's really more than anything... An investment in your time and yourself to be able to turn this idea in your head into something that's on paper. And I think this gives you the best possibility of getting that done. Yeah. And would you say that any anyone's capable, do you think, of writing a book? Absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 so. I really think that's true. I, I, it's, I know it's been a very sort of gatekeeper environment for many years, but everybody in the world has a story they want to tell. People love telling stories to each other. It's kind of the currency of humans i travel all right. over my job and people tell stories all over the world it's definitely a, right. a thing people like to do but i i do think you just need to have the confidence that you can do it and give it a try i mean what's the worst that can happen really it's right it's no real downside yeah and speaking of confidence i always say that it's not just having confidence sometimes it's just having courage because yeah. if you step out into your the zone of discomfort the confidence will come the more times you step out. So I don't know if that for me, when I do something scary, I always think about, okay, like what fictional character can I tap into and borrow their courage for a day? You know, yeah. cause I, I literally do that with myself cause I'm an introvert. Some things are pretty scary for introverts. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, so James, it has been super fun talking to you, hearing all about your writing journey. I know that I got kind of a front seat to it, but it was really fun to zoom out and just like recap all the awesome things that you've done over the last nine months. Yeah. I mean, nine months, that's crazy. It's been, it's been extraordinary. And if I go, if I rewind, it's just been, a, it's been a lot of work, but it's been without doubt that you know, one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. Yeah. And I found that it's something I'd really like to keep doing. You know, I, I, I have my job, my personal life, and that's all good. I feel that like this is a separate thing that 
I really connect to it. I enjoy doing. Yeah. So to me, that's having the book is great, but actually finding the fact that I enjoy doing it has been even better. Yeah. That's so cool. And I know that people are going to want to, you know, see what you're all about and follow along in your journey. So where can people go to find you, learn more about you and all that fun stuff? Best place is Twitter for me. So my Twitter handle is J-B-E-S-W. My name's James Bezik, so J-B-E-S-W. But everything I do is on Twitter and I respond to people text me. I'm also on LinkedIn and every other platform. Cool. And we'll link to some of that in the show notes. Do you have a website? I don't yet. Okay. So we'll, yeah, we'll link to some of that in the show notes just so you guys can get in touch with James if you want. But thank you, James, so much for spending time with me. And I can't wait to see what's next for book two. I can't wait to have you back to talk about book two, because I yeah. know that, I mean, maybe, I don't know, another six to nine months, there will be a book two. <laughs> so it's very exciting. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thanks so much for inviting me, Savannah. It's great to be here. I hope my conversation with James has inspired you to keep going, even if your first draft or your first version of your outline isn't perfect. That was one of my favorite takeaways from my discussion with James that he knew there were things that he wanted to fix in his draft, but he just kept going until the very end. And then his revisions were so much easier because he could finally see the big picture of his story from start to finish. So keep going, even if it's messy, even if you feel like you're pretty far in the weeds and just trust the process. It will all work out and you'll be so much more well-equipped to revise your story into something cohesive and something that you're proud of once you get to the end. If you're listening to this episode right when it releases, the doors to my Notes to Novel course are currently closed. The program is getting a makeover during the holiday season and it will reopen in early January. So if you can relate to James's story or if you're struggling to get started or maybe you want a proven framework to follow as you plan, outline, and write your first draft, then I would love to have you in the program. You can put your name on the waitlist by going to savannagilbo.com forward slash waitlist and then you'll be the first to hear about it when doors open in early January. And if you're already enrolled in the course, then get excited because you get the updated version at no additional cost to you. So that's one of the great things about the Notes to Novel course. You will always get the updates for free once you're enrolled. So if you want to get on the waitlist, go to savannagilbo.com forward slash waitlist, and you'll be notified when doors open in January. So that's it for today's show. As always, I want to thank you so much for tuning in and showing your support. If you want to check out any of the links I mentioned in this episode, you can find them over at savannagilbo.com forward slash podcast. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show because there's going to be another brand new episode coming out next week. If you're an Apple user, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a quick rating and review. Your ratings and reviews tell iTunes that this is a podcast that's worth listening to. And in turn, that helps this show get in front of more fiction writers just like you. So that's it for today's show. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, happy writing.